If you want to open your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to get there in a moment. All right, so in the beginning, God spoke and created the universe completely boundless. He created stars and planets, a perfect circular star called the sun. He called formless darkness into order and created earth. At the end of the sixth day, God created man. God created everything but took special care with you and I. It says in the word that when he made us, he actually used his hands. He formed us. And when you form something, you know you'll use your hands, right? And then it said he breathed into us and gave us life. This is quite interesting. We are more like God than anything else in creation. Out of all creation, we represent his image and his likeness. Most of the time, if, I don't know if any of you have traveled overseas, you would have gone to, for example, if you go to India, you go to temples, if, even in Dubai, if you've been into the mosques, most of the time you'll see a representation. There's normally some form of idol, something created. And I, I read this, and this almost, this almost broke me. It said, when you walk into the Christian church, you will not see an idol. You will not see something created that we actually worship or pay homage to. But it does. The Bible says you will see a reflection, an image of God's glory. And that is you and I. That is you and I. Incredible to let that sink in. And I, I always do this, but it's, it's really cool to say, I am the image of God's glory. Say it. I am the image of God's glory. I am the image of God's glory. Look at someone next to you and say, you are the image of God's glory. And I, I, I would love to do this where I literally could stand or walk through and, and point to you and look at every single person in the eye and say, you are the image of God's glory. You are the image of God's glory. You are the image of God's glory. There is nothing. People will walk into this building and they will see nice orange lights. They will see cool graphics, but they will not see an image. They will not see anything else created that we worship. They, because we sit like this, they'll go, oh, it's a church, it's a meeting. But there's nothing here to show. It doesn't say Jesus anywhere. It doesn't say God anywhere. There aren't even scriptures written around this building. If you look around, it's you and I. You and I in this building are the only thing that represents God's glory. So this is, this is the interesting part with the, the two things. One of them is with what Kurt said. So when I was 16 years old, and I plan to share this because it, it had a big impact on my life. I was 16 years old, and I had no vision. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in grade 10, I think, standard 8. And I was in school, and I just thought, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know, what I wanna, I don't know where I want to go. And at that stage in my life, my dad had been diagnosed with uh, a form of cancer. He had been smoking his whole life. So if you're here and you're a smoker, stop. <laughs> he, he, that was the second time the first time he had cancer my brother and I were too small to realize it and uh, that second time he had cancer it was to such an extent that it just literally riddled his whole body to the, ex to, to the degree where the doctors kind of said to my mom he's not going to make it you're going to have to kind of see this one through and, and for me and my brother 16 year, 16 year olds we didn't know what that meant we, at 16-year-olds, you, you never visualize, okay, one of my parents has got an illness that will end their life. And um, I, rem I remember the whole, literally the whole time, 
that it started till the time it ended. And here's the profound part. is when my dad was pretty much on his deathbed. He was lying in our, in our, our home. I think my mom had said to us, it's going to get worse until he slips into a coma. And then once he slips into a coma, it's, it's kind of the end. And I remember a family friend coming over. And my brother and I and my mom, we were always continually at my dad's bedside. Even from school, we would rush home because we never knew when the last moment would be. And, and you'll know if you've lost someone, you always want to be there at that last moment. You want to be by their side. You want to, you want to know in your heart that I was there at the very end. I, I managed to spend as much time as I could with them. I never had any regrets. And that for me wasn't the defining moment. The defining moment was when I sat at my dad's bedside with my brother and my mom. And our family friend came and preached the gospel to my dad. I heard the gospel and I saw him respond. I literally saw him respond lying in, in his bed with tears coming out of his eyes. And you don't, I always say, you don't have to feel sorry for me because like Kurt was saying, it's a happy story that comes through. Is that at 16 years old, I never knew God, but he had done something in front of me and had changed something in my heart. And that's, that's where we're going with this give yourself, is that once you get that reflection of who Jesus is, your life will not be the same. Who you are will never be the same. And I did. I cried when my dad died. I think once. And people came to me and they said, why aren't you crying? They, they, they kind of wanted me to, to break down and say, you need to, you need to grieve. You need to weep. And I remember my mom saying to me, how are you doing? And I said to her, mom, I'm doing fine. The reason why I'm doing fine, because I know she was worried. I said, the reason why I'm doing fine is because I know that dad has gone to heaven. And it wasn't that I'll see him up there with the big guy upstairs. I'd seen him receive Jesus and get saved. I literally saw it happen in front of me. And I didn't understand it, but something changed in my heart. And from that day, 16 years old, for two years, I struggled. I struggled with with vision. What am I here for, God? What am I doing here? I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let me move on. All right. So have you ever... Have you ever looked at your hands, looked at your legs and your body and gone, this is weird. I'm, I'm living on earth. I'm working a job. This is pretty weird. Has anyone ever felt like that? I often slip into those situations where, especially living in Dubai, I thought I'd be at home or at least in South Africa. And I, I think I, I can see and I can speak and I, I feel I'm in like a body. What am I, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? And... I read this. Well, I'll ask you this question, then I'll tell you what I read. Have you ever created something with your hands? Have you ever made something? Art, music, uh, building. Have you ever created something, drawn it? Have you ever? You can give me a nod. Yeah? Have you ever created it just for fun? Just made something because you wanted to? I'd say generally with guys, we like to take something that's hard and work with it, like wood, make instruments, make designs, this is a generalization. Ladies generally like to make something that's along the lines of food. But we have men do the same thing. So there's all these like intricate details of how you can take something. I wish we had a wooden statue beveled with a small blade and it looks amazing. But there's people go to such degrees of intricacy with food and buildings. Here in Dubai, you can see it all around. You walk outside and you can see the birds from pretty much anywhere in the city. And people go through so much detail when they're designing. Have you ever thought of that's what God did when he created you? So when he designed you with his hands, made you, formed you, he did it for his pleasure. He did it because he wanted to. Not because of a cosmic burst. 
not because of uh, your parents had you or something happened and you were born. In John it says that because you were born, God had called you. You are born for a reason. Not even because of a husband's will are you on this earth. It's actually because of God. All right, let's go across to Mark 12, verse 13. You can follow with me. It says, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. Here's my representation over here. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? All right, let's look at the, the context. I just want to want you to note three things. So in the first line, in verse 13, you'll say they speak about the Herodians, the Pharisees, and they. So if we look at the Herodians, the Herodians were not Jewish people. They were political people, almost like puppets. The Romans were using them as puppets. They were hated by any form of religion, especially by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the exclusive religious types. They wanted nothing to do with politics. And these two groups of people got together. The third group is the they. Can you see they after later? They are the chief priests. I heard David Pawson say this. It's incredible how people who hate each other will get together and form an alliance when they hate God. When people hate God, they'll form an alliance to be against Him. The ESV in verse 17 says... Whose likeness and inscription is this? I want to ask you this question. When you stand in front of the mirror, what do you see? Who are you measuring yourself against? What's too big? What's too small? When I used to stand in front of the mirror, I used to think, oh, my, my ears are too big. My hair's not like this. That could be bigger. That could be smaller. My one nostril's bigger than my other one. What's going on here? How, how did I even get this? How do I change it? Who, what do you see? What, what do you identify when you look in the mirror? There's a, there's a new way to get a reflection. It works kind of like this. So all you do is you need your smartphone. You go and find a good-looking bunch of people. This is going to be hard with one hand. And you take a photo. You can do it again. It's a, yeah, it's not a selfie anymore. It's a someone elfie. So what do I do with that now? I'll put it on Facebook. You guys want to be on Facebook? Who wants to be on Instagram? Got some hashtags? Good looking? Too cool? Nostrils? <laughs> yeah, hashtag Dan Stoller, look what we do in church. 
So you put up that Instagram, you put up that Facebook page, and you're waiting. You're waiting for the likes. Because as soon as you hit over 20, it doesn't say the person's name anymore. It just says the number. Is that right? I think. So as soon as you hit over 20, you know you got somewhere. 40, 50, whoa. Or you're waiting for the flattery on Facebook. That's exactly what happened in that scripture. They came to Jesus. Jesus, we know you like this. We know you tell the truth. We know you like that. Do you, have you ever put a picture up waiting for someone to say something about your picture, about your self-image? What do you think? Have you? We're going to look at two different people in the Bible. They were also looking for, for a reflection, but they didn't quite get the reflection that they wanted. They saw something completely different. The first one is in Luke chapter 19. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. I'll run through the story for you. It's about a little guy named Zacchaeus. Most of us will know the story of Zacchaeus climbing the tree. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Thank you very much. That word chief tax collector is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. They say he was probably quite an important guy. He probably made quite a lot of money. So I was thinking to myself, I wonder what his Instagram would have looked like. It says that his friends thought he was very shrewd. He was a businessman. He made a lot of money. They thought he was shrewd. He was unfair. I thought, I wonder what his pictures, what he would have taken. And I, th- I came up with two things that probably would have been in his Instagram profile. He probably would have had tons of pictures of wealthy possessions and superficial friendships. He probably would have been out at parties. He probably would have been in his office collecting money. He probably even would have had a picture of all the money stacked up. He really, he must have felt like he lacked nothing. In Dubai, he probably would have been royalty. He would have been very close. So he hears one day about Jesus. And all as he would have heard was rumors. He heard that, that this guy, Jesus, does incredible, amazing things, and he's coming through. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's stopping over in Jericho. He finds out where he is. He sees a massive crowd but he can't even see Jesus because there's so many people. So we know the story. He climbs up a tree just so he can get a glimpse. And what happens? Jesus walking through the crowd stops. Can you imagine the situation? Stops, looks across, sees the tree, walks over to the tree. I mean, if I was in the tree, I would have started to get a little bit sweaty, a bit nervous because the crowd would have been following. Jesus would have looked up into the tree. Every single person in that crowd would have looked up into the tree watching this one guy trying to be a monkey. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And it says, the Bible says, some people think he literally instantly got saved because it says he was full of joy. So he was full of joy and he went and had, I don't know what they would have had, but he communed with Jesus. And it's interesting because here's his reflection. It it doesn't say he met up with Jesus again. The Bible doesn't say that. So we just have to assume that it possibly only happened once. So he's left with that one reflection with Jesus. What happened in that one reflection? What did he see in Jesus that changed his life and caused him to make decisions? The Bible says that he took half of everything he had and gave it away. It says that he went and found all those people that he had taken money from, and he said, here, here's your money and more. 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 Can you imagine the generosity? All because of one meet with Jesus. Imagine his next meeting when he must have met with the other chief tax collectors. 
would have sat at the, I don't know, boardroom table, gone through each person, how's business, how's business, kind of where's your profits? I could have seen people, oh, I made, I made so much more than I did last week, got to Zacchaeus. I gave most of it away. Can you imagine the outcry? Zacchaeus, have you lost your mind? We're supposed to be making money. Guys, I gave half of what I had away, and everybody who I stole from, I gave it back to them and more. They, they would have literally looked at each other in disbelief. And Zacchaeus then would have said, well, I saw something different. He's a, he's a guy named Jesus, and he changed my life. This is what happened. The second guy we're going to look at has captured my attention for a couple of weeks now. It's in Mark 15, verse 39. He's a, a, a Roman centurion, a centurion soldier. Who do, he doesn't get a lot of play. He gets like one or two lines in the whole of Scripture. But he, he made an extraordinary impact on my life. He was the guy that stood in front of Jesus and watched what happened. So I was thinking to God, what, what kind of man, what would his Instagram look like? And I thought, well, he would have been a professional guy. He would have been a, one of those, ever watched 300? I haven't watched 300. Those kind of like soldier movies. He would have been one of those kind of guys. And I, I had this image. I wasn't going to share it, but I'm going to. He's the kind of guy who would have gone to war. And while he's fighting in a war, he could have put a spear into a guy kick that guy off his spear and put it into the next guy without even thinking. He would have been a brutal guy. Can you imagine? Because to be a centurion, you would have had to have soldiers underneath you. So when you're in war, you would have been able to stand there without shaking, without nerves, without fear, and been able to lead all these men behind you into battle. That's, that's the kind of guy he would have been. So I thought, well, he probably would have loved work and he probably wouldn't have had much time to Instagram at all. He wouldn't have had as many followers as Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have had a lot of followers trying to see what's the next thing, what's he, what's he using his money on. This guy probably would have just had trivial photos. He would have been too involved in work. Work would have been his life. Work would have been what he, what he does. And um, he hears about a man named Jesus about to be executed. He hears, he gets his orders. Okay, this day, okay, this is what I've got to do. I'm in charge. Three men are getting crucified. I need to make sure it all runs smoothly. I thought his attention would have, in fact, not even been on Jesus. Wouldn't have been on the two guys next to Jesus as well. His attention would have been on administrating what happened there. And for him, it would have been like, I've seen this all before. I've been around a crucifixion. I've seen people die. Okay, let's get this done. Soldiers, let's make sure this runs in order. You all know what you need to do? Get it right. And he would have been there making sure everything happens as it's supposed to happen. And then he sees and gets glimpses of this man named Jesus. And he stands in front of Jesus and watches Jesus' last few hours. I thought a man with such a hard heart, such a hard heart, he, his heart must, must have been calloused. Must have been calloused, guys. He must have literally had a heart of stone. And that scripture came out this morning. That heart of stone, it was dismantled just like that. Just like that, like bridge red. Dismantled, turned into flesh. He, his life changed because of that reflection and his testimony at the end of that work day was that surely this man is the Son of God. Can you imagine his next day with his soldiers? Can you imagine his next day at work? Do you think it would have been the same? And that is, that's not my point in case you're drawing that from there. My, my point is not that when you go back to work, you need to go and tell all your soldiers 
that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you don't care what happens here. My point is that, have you got that reflection of Jesus that has changed your life, that causes you to make decisions that you're making? And the reason why I'm looking at these two guys is because one was stooped in wealth, the other one was stooped in stature in terms of his, his respect. He was so well respected because he was a centurion. Both in different portfolios, but both men would have, in today's age, would have seen to have had it. They would have been success stories. But in fact, in their success, they, have, they realized in one reflection, one glimpse of Jesus, I don't have it together. I don't have it together. I need to change. Something in me needs to change. So, back to Mark chapter 12, if you've got it in front of you. So, in, in looking at, at this coin, this coin has value to every single one of us. All of us. If you go to South Africa with this coin, you're getting three times what it's worth. If you go to Zimbabwe... I think 3,000 times. <laughs> if you go somewhere in Europe, probably obviously a little bit less. But to every single one of us sitting in this room, that has value. You know, to God, that has no value at all. To God, that is worth nothing. But you and I have value to God. You and I are worth so much more than a shiny silver coin. Did you know that this shiny silver coin is actually not your property, even if it lands up in your hand. Did you know that? It actually belongs. It's, this one has an inscription, so it doesn't have an image. In Jesus' day, that one had an image. That image shows that that coin belonged to Caesar. This coin actually belongs to the Dubai government and probably ends up going back to the sheikh. Being the ruler or the king of Dubai, this would be his property. This coin, and probably all the rest of the money I have and you have, are by government law, they belong to an earthly king. Whose likeness do you have? Whose likeness is painted all over you? Whose impression? Do you know that you also belong? Did you know you belong to a heavenly king? So the question is quite a difficult one. Jesus is saying, give back to Caesar what is his. That doesn't belong to God. That's not important to him. But give to God what is his. Are you giving to God what belongs to him? You know what I'm saying with this, right? I'm, I'm kind of painting my way around it. But to paint a sharp point, you and I belong to God. Are you giving yourself to him? I want to close with this. Rams, if you can, the guys can, can come up, please. So this is the other thing that struck me, and I was almost, I felt like I was on a motorbike to get here. I shared this with Rom earlier, and then it, was, it came out in worship, and I kind of think, God, when I feel like I've got nothing to give, but you start talking, that's awesome. I'll give nothing, you just talk, and that'll work. So here's the picture, and I, I'd love for you to be able to identify, identify. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Everyone can identify with it. So I, I I saw this. Can you imagine a lump of clay 
on a potter's wheel. Can you imagine that? Yep. What is the potter's wheel doing? It's spinning. That spinning lifestyle for me doesn't fit any better than it does in Dubai because Dubai just feels like an absolute rush. It just feels like everything has to happen. It has to happen quick and it has to happen perfectly. And I think every single person in this room is on that potter's wheel. Some of us are ready to quit our jobs. Some of us are looking for jobs. Some of us aren't sure what we're going to do tomorrow. Some of us are thinking, if I have to be here for the next 10 years, I think it's going to kill me. Some of us have so much stress and pressure, we battle to even think of God, let alone gain a reflection of Him. Some of us look in the mirror and we identify, God, you've done something wrong with me. I'm not supposed to look like this. I'm not supposed to be like that. God, why can't I do this? Why isn't that happening for me? And God is saying, you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing the wrong reflection. You're not supposed to be seeing yourself. You're supposed to be seeing Jesus. And both Zacchaeus and that soldier, when they saw Jesus, their success in their lifestyle, their busyness in what they were doing, fell to pieces. And they realized, when I see who Jesus is, my life has got to change. And you know what the awesome thing about those stories is? Is that Jesus made an impact and it happened. This is not a metaphorical thing. This is not a 10 steps to how you can have peace and really make it through. Remember that picture. That thing is spinning. That wheel is spinning. The clay that is on that, it is going to be spinning. So here, here's one of two situations you're in. Either when that clay is spinning, there is nothing or anything happening to it. There's nothing that is influencing it. And it is spinning out of control. And what happens to it? It looks hideous. It has no form. It has no design. It has no purpose. It hasn't even got any identity. But like Ram said earlier, when you invite, when you get that reflection of Jesus and you say, Jesus, you have to come into my life, something has to change. And my wife's been saying this word to me the whole week, it's surrender. And I said to her, but what does that even mean? What does surrender mean? And surrender is when you realize that you can do nothing. And you, you have to stand there and say, God, you have got to do something because I can't do anything. And what happens to that piece of clay when it's on that potter's wheel? What happens when the hands of someone who knows what they're doing get onto that potter's wheel? What happens to that piece of clay? It turns into something. It becomes beautiful. It has purpose. It has identity. So where we're going to this morning, that giving yourself, saying, God, I need you to take what I am and to change it into something beautiful. Because that's what he'll do. That's what he says he'll do. That's his purpose. His purpose is to be with you and turn you into something amazing. And here's the other thing I forgot, is that when, when my dad died, I didn't have a vision. I had no dream. I had, I had nowhere where I was going. God did not fix me. God is not a fixer. He's a creator. He makes new. He makes new. He gave me a vision. He gave me a dream. He gave me a purpose. So don't stand in front of God and go, God, do you have a lot of glue? Because I'm in many, many pieces. Can you stick me back together? I I believe God's response will be, no, I I cannot stick you back together. I cannot. I'm not a fixer. I'm a creator. I make things new. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And we're going to make some space 
for God, for His Spirit to speak to you, to speak to me. And whatever in our lives needs to be made new, whatever needs to be fixed, whatever needs the potter's hands. And that was the word that came through this morning, the potter's hands. If God's hands are on you, friends, that's the best place you can be. That's the best place you can be. You will get purpose. You will get vision. You will get identity. You will turn into something beautiful. So we're going to have some space, and then we'll probably have a song. We'll see where it goes. But open your heart. Do that thing of surrendering, and speak it out. Say to God, God, I need you to change me. I need you to do something different in my life.